Our text this morning is found in the book of Luke, the 12th chapter, and beginning there in verse 49. Jesus said, I came to send fire on the earth, and how I wish it were already kindled. But I have a baptism to be baptized with, and how distressed am I until it's accomplished. Do you suppose that I came to give peace on earth? I tell you, not at all, but rather division. In verse number 51, it says, Jesus asked the question, Do you suppose that I came to bring peace on earth? He said, I tell you, not at all, but rather division. And think back in your mind's eye as you picture those perhaps Pharisees that were in earshot of Jesus, or those Jews that would have really uh, had an expectation of peace. In other words, Jesus is going to shatter all Jewish expectation when he says what he says about not bringing peace on earth and bringing division. Now, Jewish expectation. In Psalm 72, the Bible says that in his days the righteous will flourish with an abundance of peace. Zacharias, the father of John the Baptist, said the son would guide our feet into the way of peace. When Jesus healed that woman, you remember he forgave that woman. She was bowed down before Jesus and she was crying and she washed his feet with her tears and dried those feet with her hair. Jesus said, your faith has saved you. Go in peace. Jesus further said to his disciples, peace I leave with you, my peace I give to you. And one more passage or one more idea. Jews, the Jews would have also understood prophecy. In Isaiah chapter 9 and verse 6, it says about the Messiah that he would be the Prince of Peace. In Isaiah 55 and also Isaiah 66, it says the Messiah would bring peace. But here was the problem. They thought he meant national peace. They thought it would be a time when Jesus would come and establish his kingdom and would lift the thumb of oppression political oppression, and it would remove the thumb of Rome from them and be lifted, and they would have peace from that. They misunderstood. Do you remember in the last week in the life of Jesus, when Jesus is traveling to Jerusalem and uh, heading there for the Passover, there were many that followed Jesus because they thought when he gets to the kingdom, he's going to establish his kingdom in Jerusalem, and it would be a worldly or earthly kingdom, and religious. Uh, it, it had nothing to do with religion. But what Jesus was talking about is Jesus was talking about spiritual peace. And may I just say this. We may have unrest in our country. People are divided in our country. Political parties are divided. i got to share something with you. The first time I've ever seen this, there were these little boys the other day, and I overheard them. You know what they were arguing over? You know, when I was a little boy of 10 years old, I was thinking about throwing a ball around or playing with toys. I was thinking about hanging out with my friends. You know what they were arguing over? One said, Biden is, a, Biden is horrible. And the other guy said, I'm not going to talk to you anymore if you badmouth Biden. A a back and forth about politics, arguing. So it's true that our country is divided with regards to political ideas. Okay, What about in the world? What about unrest in the world? There's all kinds of unrest right now. We've gone through this pandemic. We have things that we have not had before. And we, had, we have to talk about and deal with. Okay, We've been inconvenienced. We pray to God that we will have peace in this world and there will be no war. Absolutely. 
We pray to God that the laws of our country would not keep us from worshiping God. We pray for that. We pray that there won't be unrest. And when God answers those prayers favorably, he does so by his providence and an answer to prayer. And that's wonderful and that's great. But that's not what he promised. When he talked about promising peace, it was talking about spiritual peace. And may I say this, the peace that surpasses all understanding that the Bible talks about in the book of Philippians chapter 4 is having the peace that everything is okay between you and God from a spiritual perspective. And that is not subject to circumstances. That means you can have all kinds of bad stuff going on, but you can be at peace because that's spiritual peace. And it's not subject to the circumstances of life. Now, interestingly, though, Jesus says this. Do you suppose that I came to give peace on earth? I tell you, not at all. But rather, division. What we have here is we've got division. And we have a dividing event. And we have also a dividing instrument. Please get that. And really, this sermon has two points. The dividing event... And the dividing instrument. Now, let's talk about the dividing event for just a moment. In Luke chapter 12, beginning in verse 49 and 50, I came to send fire on earth how I wish it were already kindled, but I have a baptism to be baptized with, and how distressed I am until it is accomplished. We're going to get to that event in just a moment, but notice this. That one event divides people into two categories. And that division is in both time and also eternity. Okay? The dividing event. So, let's notice. In verse 49, Jesus says, I came to send fire on the earth. This phrase, I came, by the way, you can trace it through the New Testament. And you can find it to be a technical phrase or technical term describing an aspect of the Lord's ministry or his purpose or his mission. For example... He came to seek and save that which is lost. In the great sermon on the mount, he said, Think not that I've come to destroy the law or the prophets. I didn't come to destroy, but to fulfill. So anytime the Bible talks about the Lord saying, I have come or I came, it always refers to various aspects of his mission. What did he say? What was his purpose? His purpose was to send fire on the earth. Now, Let's talk about fire for just a minute. Fire does one of two things. It consumes or it purifies. It consumes that which is combustible. It purifies that which is non-combustible. Now, purifying is a good thing. Consuming is a bad thing. In other words, it matters what you subject to the flame. You've heard me say this many times over the years. The fire that melts the wax is also the same fire that will harden the clay. It depends on what you subject to the flame. So fire does two things. The purpose that Jesus said, I came to bring fire on the earth, and fire either consumes or it purifies. Something else does too, and that's the gospel. The gospel purifies or punishes or condemns one of the two. Now, how do you know, how do you know if the Gospel is purifying or punishing. It's based on your response. The gospel either saves or offends. 
I'm going to tell you, we believe what the Word of God says, and we're so thankful that there's a message given, and there's a way that we can be saved. And the Bible says that God has chosen the foolishness of preaching to save them that believe. The world thinks it's foolish. And sometimes people that reject the gospel, they think it's foolish. How many people in your life think the way you believe and the way you practice and the way you worship and the way you live, how many people have thought you're ridiculous? How many people have criticized you in your life and said, I don't understand how you can go for all that stuff? It either saves or offends. And what determines whether it saves or offends is your response to the gospel. In verse 49, after he said, I came to send fire on the earth, then he said this, and how I wish it were already kindled. Now, that's an interesting phrase because kindling is something that gets fire started. The New King James says, how I wish you were already kindled. And I like that because that's in the form of a statement. The King James re renders it like this, more like a question. It says, and what will I if it be already kindled? So what we're talking about is this. We're talking about an event, a dividing event. He said, I came to bring fire on the earth and how I wish you were already kindled. Interesting about that phrase. It's talking about this. It's talking about, I wish you were already over. Okay? I wish you were already over. What's the event? The event is the cross. The event is the cross. The event is the kindling to get the fire started. Now, in verse 50, Jesus said, but I have a baptism to be baptized with and how distressed I am until it is accomplished. Make no mistake about it. The Garden of Gethsemane was not the only time the Lord was in agony. When his soul was exceeding sorrowful even unto death. Don't think for a minute that the only time he felt that. The only time that he felt that was in the Garden of Gethsemane. The Lord lived a life of perpetual Gethsemane. He knew from the very foundation of the world that it was God's will, from the foundation of the world, God's appointed will, that Jesus Christ would be the Lamb of God and die for the sins of the world. Jesus knew that. He willingly came to this earth, lived a life that was flawless in perfection, sinless perfection, so that he could be God's Lamb and go to the cross and die for the sins of the world. In the Garden of Gethsemane, though, we see it brought forth when he prays to his Father multiple times, if it be possible, let this cup pass from me, but not my will, but your will be done. Finally, with a determined resolve, he said, if there's no other way except I drink it, he said, your will be done. That's the Garden of Gethsemane. This is before the Garden of Gethsemane. And he says this, I have a baptism to be baptized with and how distressed I am until it is accomplished. So what's that talking about? That's talking about the, the cross. In Matthew chapter 20, you remember this. When the mother of the sons of Zebedee came to Jesus with the sons and said, when you establish your kingdom... And when you go into your kingdom, would you put my son, one here on the left and one here on the right? In other words, give him a leg up in the kingdom. You know what Jesus said? He said, you do not know what you ask. 
Are you able to drink the cup that I'm about to drink and be baptized with the baptism that I'm baptized with? You know, interestingly about the word baptism, the word baptism there means to, uh, it's baptizo, and it means to plunge, dip, or immerse. We know that, right? And for water baptism, how many times have we described what that means? And for scriptural baptism, it has to be in water as a burial. We get that. But did you know the word baptizo also has a fourth definition? And this is the definition that Jesus is using. Baptism here, the fourth definition, literally means to be overwhelmed. It means to be in fear. Make no mistake about it. It doesn't take anything away from the Lord when we say he had fear. Because there is no such thing as courage when there is no fear. So to have courage and stand for courage and stand for right, you have to have some fear. What he's saying is the baptism, he's overwhelmed with this. And then he says this, I am distressed. That's what the Lord said. And the word distressed literally means to seize or be overcome with Fear until it is accomplished. So notice this. There's one event, dividing event. It divides people into two categories. And that one event is the cross. The dividing instrument is the gospel. And Jesus knew that the gospel would divide. So he said this, I wish it was already kindled. In other words, the cross part was out of the way. I am troubled with fear. I am distressed I am seized in that regard. So, the one event is the cross, the dividing instrument is the gospel, and that division is in time and eternity both. Now, we understand that, don't we? We understand about about time, about eternity. In eternity, Luke chapter 12, I'm not going to go into these passages, but it describes two different kinds of people. It describes an obedient person and a disobedient person. And we understand that, right? We get that. Obviously, the reason we serve God is we want to go to heaven, but we also don't want to be lost. And we also understand this, too, that the long-suffering of God is salvation. God wants everybody to be saved, but not everybody is saved. Why? Because of their lack of response to the gospel and living a godly life. That's what the Bible says. So we get that. So when I look at this idea in eternity, I understand there's going to be saved and lost. But what about this? What about in time? In verse 52 of Luke 12, Jesus says, For from now on, five in one house will be divided, three against two and two against three. In other words, this is how it's going to be moving forward. Father will be divided against son and son against father and mother against daughter and daughter against mother and mother-in-law against her daughter-in-law and a daughter-in-law against her mother-in-law. Do you know why? Because the gospel divides. The gospel divides. And that's how it is. I want to share something with you. One of my favorite passages in all the scriptures when Jesus dealt with three men. He dealt with three men that kind of acted like they were going to follow him. But something kept them from total commitment. Something stood in their way. The first guy was a scribe and Jesus conveys to him basically what's standing in your way is lifestyle. Your lifestyle standing in the way. The second guy, the riches, 
Worldly riches were standing in his way. But the third guy, he said, I will follow you, but let me first go bid them farewell who are at my house. And Jesus says, no man putting his hand to the plow and looking back is fit for the kingdom of God. We understand what that means. It was an ancient proverb dating back to 800 B.C., and it means this. You can't plow a straight furrow when your eyes are looking back. What did the Lord know about this man? He knew that family ties were keeping him from following Jesus. Now, you may never have to give up your lifestyle. I don't whatever your lifestyle is. You may not have to give up your lifestyle to follow Jesus, but you have to be willing to. You may not have to give up riches. You may have all kinds of wealth. There are wealthy people in the Bible. There are wonderful people that use their money for the cause of Christ. Wonderful stuff. You may not have to give up your riches or things of that nature in life to follow Jesus, but you have to be willing. And you know what? You may never have to stand against family, but you have to be willing. I don't know how that is in your life, but I'll tell you this right now. Serving God is everything. I've told this story before, 1984, about the young man that wanted to obey the gospel. And he wanted to be baptized. And my dad was talking to him, and he understood what he needed to do. And he was probably, I think he was probably about 15 or so at the time. And we went to his family's house and said that he wanted to obey the gospel. And, and the grandmother said, if you do this, you're out of my will. You're out of the will. That young man says, leave me out. In other words, family ties did not stand in his way. We can't let anything stand in our way. So here's the big question as I close. As I close. Is it worth it? Is it worth it? Because anytime you pay a price for something, you have to ask yourself, is it worth it? And things of great value are valuable because of what you're willing to give up for it. We understand that. That's our life that we live. So I'm asking you this. If you have to stand against everything in the world that comes your way to follow Jesus, are you willing to do it? And is it worth it? Well, that question was also asked in Matthew 19. Then Peter answered and said to him, See, we have left all and followed you. Therefore, what shall we have? Two verses later. I love this. This is what the Lord said. This is about the worth it part. What are we going to have? Verse 29. Everyone who has left houses or brothers or sisters or father or mother or wife or children or lands for my name's sake shall receive a hundredfold and inherit eternal life. Do you remember when Jesus said, except you eat my flesh and drink my blood, you shall not have eternal life? Remember that? By the way, I don't believe that's talking about the communion. He's talking about obedience to the word of God, okay? And that's what, how he described it. Do you know what the Bible says? The Bible says that many stopped walking with the Lord because of what he said. And you can almost hear, can you not, the tone in the Lord's voice as he turns to his disciples and he said, what about you? Will you also go away? And Peter says, to whom shall we go? For you have the words of eternal life. Is it worth it? Yeah, it's worth it. It's worth anything and everything to follow the Lord. We thank you for listening to our podcast put on by the Church of Christ 
at 2215 Plans Road in Bakersfield. If you would like any additional information or you would like to receive a free Bible correspondence course by mail, please email us at info at churchofchristbakersfield.com. Our service times are Sundays at 10.30 a.m. and 5 p.m. and Wednesdays at 7.30 p.m. Please make plans to join us. We would love for you to be our honored guest.